Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. Our plan this week was to start a series in Jude, uh, which is a book of the Bible I love. Um, and as I was praying and studying and processing, some things just kept nagging at me um, related to that. And so I shared that with the elders um, and shared a uh, my desire to change, uh, and they said yes. So if you'll take your Bible and turn to 1 Thessalonians 4, I'll tell you where we're gonna be over the next few weeks. We're, we're gonna be in a series uh, that's gonna be topical, so we'll be in different parts of the Bible um, over the next three weeks called Grieve. It's called Grieve. And my hope in this series is that we would learn to grieve, and in our grieving, that we would find hope in God together. That's what I want for us. And in our grieving, that we would learn to find hope in God together. Now, grief is defined as a deep sorrow we experience when we lose something. Most of us, I would dare say all of us, are familiar with grief. Uh, We know the feeling of sorrow that comes with losing something. Now, usually we connect grief to someone passing. We connect grief to the loss that we experience when someone Dies. And, and to be very honest, that is the main thought that's kind of swirling around in my mind, that God would prepare us to deal with the deep sorrow of losing someone we care very deeply about. But we live in a broken world, and we experience all kinds of loss all the time, and therefore, we experience grief all the time. If you think about the loss of a job, think about the loss of something valuable. Brian Regan's one of my favorite comedians. He's got a great bit about kids who lose their balloon. You know, the kid's holding on a balloon and he lets it go and it flies off into the, into the sky and the kid's screaming, wants his balloon. And the parent's like, it's just a balloon. And Regan's response is, well, what if your wallet just kind of started floating away? And as an adult, you're like, no, you know, and he's, he's like, that's how we treat a kid. We're like, just get over it. It's just a balloon. And the kid's dealing with loss of something very valuable to them. We can lose something valuable. We can deal with the loss of a life stage. I remember when I turned 45, I moved a box. All these things you fill out, 18 to 25, 26 to 34, 35 to 44, 45 and beyond. Like, you know, you're just moving boxes and you, and you, you, you grieve these things. Now, I'm very happy that I'm getting old. There are two options, Okay. <laughs> And I mean, it's anyway, that's another conversation for another day. Um, We can deal with the loss of a sense of control. Control is an illusion. None of us have it, but we feel like we do. And when we're face-to-face with the reality that it's an illusion, we can experience deep loss. Uh, Loss of a dream, loss of health. There's all kinds of loss that we deal with in our world, and therefore we deal with grief. And the Bible says Jesus was a man familiar with grief. He knew what it was like to lose something. He stepped out of eternity into into time, into a broken world that hated him. He dealt with uh, his family thinking he was crazy. He dealt with people he considered friends betraying him. All of that created loss, and so he knows grief. And so when we pray to him, he's not just sympathizing with us, he's, he's empathizing, he knows grief. He knows it. Now, one of the challenges when we think about grief for us 
is that we don't tend to like to feel or think negative things. We're kind of conditioned to always be happy. And we think if we're not always happy, something's wrong. We've been prepared for a world where there should be no grief. Everybody, everybody should be happy all the time, but that's not the world we live in. And so when we feel loss and grief, we either try to run from it or maybe fight against it. And we think we're going to be stronger or we think we can make peace somehow or we think we can just change the world so that nobody ever has to hurt the way we're hurting. Some of us try to run from it and we try to escape with food and drink and fun or maybe we try to control. We just get hyper-controlling because we never want to hurt that way again. For some of us, we try to just get busy or get lost in serving others. We feel this deep sense of grief, so we want to serve, or maybe we want to be successful to make all that loss and pain go away. And the challenge is what you know and experience is that we, we can't ever make grief go away unless we really deal with it. It might muffle it for a while or maybe make the, the pain uh, not as intense, but it, it never really deals with it unless we really deal with it. And then what we don't own end up, ends up owning us. We might, we might push grief down here and then it just pops up over here somewhere. And so I want us to deal, learn to grieve. Us, us. Not, this isn't like, hey, I got it figured out. Here you go. This is us. I want us to learn how to grieve so that we might run to God and find hope. So that's what we're gonna do over the next few weeks. We're gonna talk about the hope we have in Jesus so that we can be a people who really grieve with hope. Now, it may be that you today would not say that you have the hope that's found in Jesus. And, and you, your path of dealing with grief is you want to either be strong or run from it or ignore it. And my hope for you over the next few weeks is that you would see in Jesus a hope that is so compelling that you would give away everything that you value to run to him. That's, that really is my hope because the only hope we have that's big enough to deal with not only our grief in this life, but hope for the next is a hope that we find in Jesus, the one who beat death himself. So that's what I want for us. I want us to hope, I want us to run to God that we might find hope. I want us to do that together. I want us to learn to grieve. So we're gonna be today in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Um, I'm gonna read the passage and then I'll pray and we'll jump in to God's word. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's pray together. Father, I pray uh, that you would use your word to encourage us today. And that as we are encouraged, uh, comforted with your word, that we would encourage one another with it. Um, Father, you know, you know every heart 
listening to this. You know, every pain, every loss, you know, uh, you know the loss that immediately came to mind in every mind listening uh, when we started talking about this. And so, Lord, you know how to comfort, how to care, um, how to encourage. And so we, we bow before you and ask you to do what this uh, sermon alone can't. Uh, we would ask that you, Holy Spirit, work in our lives such that we would have hope today. And so, Lord, would you meet with us? Uh, Father, I pray that you would make my words clear and uh, concise, that you would guard my mind and my heart as I proclaim your word today. Uh, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open to what you have for us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, 1 Thessalonians is a letter written by a guy named Paul to a church that he planted in the city of Thessalonica. Uh, He goes into the city, shares the gospel here. Uh, Lives are radically changed. Well, people people in the town and the city are not happy about that. So they start persecuting the church to the point that the Christians now are saying, Paul, you gotta leave or you're gonna be stuck here. So Paul is uh, basically, he, he uses the word torn away from this new church in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, he cares for them. He's missing them. He's concerned about them. So later, he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on the church. He finds out not only are st- they still there, but they're thriving and just doing a great job. But these Christians have some questions, and one of those questions is related to their suffering. Apparently, some of their church family had been martyred. They had uh, given their life because they were followers of Jesus. And the, the Christians that remain uh, had questions about what, what happens to them. How do, we, how do we handle this difficult thing that we're facing? And Paul writes this letter to answer some of those questions. And one of those is this question that he answers here in verses 13 through 18 of chapter four. Now, this section of the letter is... Uh, kind of like what was called a letter of consolation in uh, this culture. People would write to grievers, those who are grieving, they would write this letter of consolation to offer some sense of hope. But what makes this distinct is that those letters of consolation in their Greek culture was basically feeling sad is not going to fix it, just move on. That, that was basically, one, one of them read this, do not grieve over the departed. Hades turns pity aside. Basically, ignore your feelings. It's not going to change anything. Just kind of just, it is what it is. Just move on. Well, Paul's answer is not don't feel, move on. Paul's answer is grieve with hope. And what Paul is going to do is he's going to try to tell them what they need to know so they can do what they need to do. That's what Paul's going to do. He's going to tell them what they need to know so they can do what they need to do. Okay. Let's start with what we need to know. Look at verse 13. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Now notice, Paul says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. So Paul is speaking to Christians and he's speaking about Christians who have died. And so these, this, uh, this fallen asleep or who are asleep, that's a euphemism for uh, those who have died. And so Paul is talking to those who hope in Jesus about those who hope in Jesus. That's the kind of the context here. And he says, we do not want you to be uninformed. So they have questions, they don't understand, they don't know. And based on what Paul says back to them, 
Um, it seems kind of strange that they wouldn't know these things because basically Paul's gonna say, Jesus died, he rose again, he's gonna return. And all who hope in him are going to be with him forever. Now that's fairly basic stuff about Christianity. And so many have speculated that it's not that Paul didn't tell them these things, it's that they had forgotten what they knew. One writer said this, they knew the truth, but their emotions had not caught up with their knowledge. Man, I mean, I feel like I'm there all the time where I know what I know, but I'm not entirely feeling what I know. And Paul wants them to have a Jesus-centered view of how to deal. So again, Paul starts with what they need to know. Look at verse 14. He says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Notice where Paul starts. He starts with the reality that Jesus died and rose again that Jesus, the eternal son of God who took on flesh and dwelt among us, who lived a perfect life and then died a sacrificial death on the cross for sin, that Jesus died taking all of our punishment for all the times we said to God, God, I don't want anything to do with you. God, I'm not gonna find life in you. I wanna run and find it other places that Jesus died taking our punishment so that we might get not only forgiveness of sin, but that we might get his righteousness. Jesus died on the cross as our substitute. And then not only did he die, it says, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. He is reminding them of the central reality of the gospel, Jesus' death, and resurrection. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, not through effort, not through work, not through trying to be good, not through sincerity, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And so Paul wants them to know what they need to know. He wants them to know that Jesus died and rose again, and through faith in this Jesus, we might live again too. And so Paul starts with this reality that Jesus died and rose again. And then he reminds them that Jesus rose to give us hope beyond this life. Look at verse 14. Since we believe that Jesus um, died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Again, this fallen asleep is a euphemism for those who have died. And he reminds us, not only did Jesus die and rise again, but the Bible tells us that Jesus will return. In Acts chapter one, we see that Jesus spent, after his resurrection, spent about 40 days with his disciples. And then he ascended with the promise that one day he would return. And what Paul is reminding these people, he's reminding these people who are grieving is that not only did Jesus die, but one day Jesus is gonna come back to make all things new. And he tells us this in verse 15. He says, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Now do you hear, hear where the authority's coming from here? Paul's saying, we declare this to you by a word from the Lord. This is not Paul's word only. This is a word from the Lord. 
that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, Paul's saying a lot here that we've got to understand. First, he's talking about two groups, those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. In other words, they hoped in Christ and they have died. And then those who are alive who are hoping in Jesus. But then he talks about this coming of the Lord. What's that talking about? That's talking about the return of Jesus. Jesus promised he was ascending to the Father and would one day and would one day return. And Paul talks about that in verse 16. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Can you imagine what that's going to sound like? Can you imagine this cry of command, the voice? I don't even know what a voice of an archangel sounds like. I know what a trumpet sounds like. I grew up playing one. But can you imagine this explosion of sound announcing the return of the king? Then he says in verse 16, um, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Now, what is happening here? I mean, is this like, you know, the, the left behind movies from the 90s where everybody disappears and all of a sudden the cars are, cars are crashing into everybody. This is something that was incredible that the people of this day would understand. You see, when a conquering king would return to a city that he had rule and reign over, there would be an announcement. There would be a loud announcement saying that the king is returning. And then a delegation from the city would go out to meet the king, not to keep the king outside the city, but to welcome him back in. And what Paul is describing is the return of Jesus when all the world will know, here comes the king. And he talks about the dead in Christ rising first to go to Jesus. And then those who are alive, who are hoping in Jesus, will go behind them. They will meet Jesus in the air. That's what he's describing here. But that's not, not, not all that's going to happen when we meet Jesus at his return. The Bible talks about him making all things new. That there'll be a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. He doesn't say he'll make all new things. He says he'll make all things new. So when we meet him in the air, he'll remake the world and then he'll remake us. In 1 Corinthians 15, it's gonna be on the screen. It says this, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, this mortar body, must put on immortality. And the, 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 the multitude of those who have hoped in Jesus from all time will return to a new heaven and a new earth and we will always be with the Lord. And so when Paul thinks about the thing that could give this group of people, the most hope in the midst of their grief, he thinks about Jesus dying for sin, Jesus rising from the grave to conquer death, and Jesus' return at the end of the age where he makes all things new and all things right, ushering in 
a new reality where there's no sin, there's no shame, there's no sickness, there's no death. And we will always be with the Lord. And he wants them to know this so that they can, he wants them to know what they need to know so they can do what they need to do. And what they need to do, what they need to do is grieve. They need to grieve with hope. Verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Now notice, it's not that he doesn't want them to grieve. I think sometimes we think that Christians are to be like these robotic automatons who only feel good things. We're to only always be happy. We're to only always be up. We're to only always be, you know, praise the Lord. I mean, we're only to always be those things. And he's not saying that. He's not trying to make us into things that don't feel. He wants us to be people who grieve. Jesus grieved. When Jesus came to the grave of his friend Lazarus, it says Jesus wept. And it wasn't like this one tear. Like it was, that's an ugly cry. I mean, he wept. It's good to grieve. He doesn't want them to not grieve. He wants them to grieve, but he wants them to grieve with hope. He says, I don't want you to grieve as others do who have no hope. He wants you to grieve with hope. He, he wants us to do what the Bible calls mourn. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, mourn is a, is a, real, uh, a real short word that means this, get outside what's inside. Get outside what's inside. And when we experience loss, there's some stuff going on inside that we need to get out. And the Bible says, when we mourn, we'll get comforted. And he wants them to grieve with hope. And the hope that he gives these people who hope in Jesus about other people who have died who hoped in Jesus is that you will see them again and you'll see him again. That's the hope he gives them that your friends who have died, you'll see them again. If they hoped in Jesus, you'll see them again when you see him again. Now, it's very important that we understand that death is not the end for any of us. Every one of us will die or we'll see, or we'll see Jesus. But every one of us, if Jesus does not return, will die. And every one of us, there is something after death for us. Now, for those who hope in Jesus, there is an eternity with Jesus, enjoying the kindness of Jesus forever. Not because we've been good, not because we've done it right, not because we've checked all the boxes, but because we trusted in the grace of Christ. Now, for those who die without trusting in Jesus, there's life after death too. There's a very real reality that those who die without hoping in Jesus will spend an eternity apart from Christ, suffering the wrath of God forever. And Jesus came so that those who should experience wrath might experience kindness if they will simply hope in him. And so if your story today is that you're not hoping in Jesus, I beg you, 
I beg you to hope in Jesus today. Because death is not the end for you. Either you'll spend eternity experiencing the kindness of Jesus or eternity experiencing the wrath of Jesus. Jesus came so that you can know his kindness. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, who are grieving those who hope in Jesus, we have the hope that we will see them again and him again. Now, if we find ourselves grieving the loss of someone who did not know Jesus, then I think we grieve in the same way with a different hope. If, if we're grieving a friend who's, uh, who, who died, who knew Jesus, we know that we'll see them again and him again. And we feel that deep sorrow and loss and we, fa- we face it, we feel it, we take our pain to God and we get comfort. If we're grieving the loss of someone we know did not know Jesus, we do not have the hope that we'll see them again. But we do know we'll see him again. And we face the pain We feel the pain and we take it to the God of all comfort. We grieve the same way, but with a different hope. And Paul wants them to know that Jesus is coming back so that they would grieve with hope. He wants them to grieve, but he wants them to grieve with hope. Second thing, he wants them to grieve together, verse 18. He says, therefore, in light of all that he said, therefore, Encourage one another with these words. Now that word encourage could mean build courage in, like, hey, it's gonna be, things are gonna be okay. You can face tomorrow, like that kind of language. Or it could mean comfort. And I think when we're grieving, both of those are needed. And he wants them to grieve with hope together as a family. Encourage one another with these words. These words that Jesus died to pay for sin. These words that Jesus rose to give us hope. These words that Jesus will return to make all things new. And for those who hope in Jesus, we will see them again and we will see him again. He wants them to have that kind of hope and to share that kind of hope with one another. So how do we apply this to our lives? I think two things. Uh, And both of them are questions. The first one is this, how do you need to grieve? How do you need to grieve? Man, we live in a broken world. All of us are dealing with loss all the time. So how do you need to grieve? And when you think about the loss you're dealing with, like there's sometimes this temptation to excuse it. And I've heard this a lot over the last seven months. Well, I I know my situation's not like fill in the blank. And so we can use that sometimes to not deal with the very real pain and loss and difficulty that we're facing. Well, it's not like blank. Sometimes we excuse it. Sometimes we try to run from it. We think if we can just escape with food and drink and fun, binge watch whatever so we don't have to think about it, we can just escape it. For some of us, we try to fight it. None of that is gonna deal with the grief we're facing. It may, it may muffle it for a while. It might push it to the back burner. But if you do not own your grief, it will own you. It will. So we've got to learn to grieve. 
And God offers us a way to do that with hope. So I want to suggest three things that we can do to deal with grief. Look, I, I understand this is simplistic and I understand that grief is not simple. I, so I'm not suggesting the three steps to a better you. That's not what I'm, where I'm going here, but I do think there are three things that would be helpful to us in grieving. First one is this. I think we need to face the loss. We need to face it. This is a loss. We need to face it and call it that. I am losing something. Face it. I think the second thing we need to do is feel it. We need to feel whatever we're feeling, sad, hurt, angry, frustrated. Sometimes we give anger a bad name. Like we feel like anger is like this, the worst emotion ever. Uh, the Bible says, be angry and don't sin. It's not sinful to be angry. We sin when we are angry, but it's not sinful to be angry. And honestly, if you're feeling it, you're feeling it. So face it, face the loss, feel the loss. Like, what am I feeling? And then take that loss to the throne of grace. Hebrews 4.16 is going to be on the screen. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Grace to help. When we come to the throne of mercy, we're not going to get, oh, is that all? Like that's what you're dealing with? You couldn't handle that? Like that's not the kind of shame we're going to experience. It says we get grace to help in our time of need. Face it, face the loss, feel it, and then take your pain to the throne of grace to get help in your time of need. Now, for some of us, um, we're gonna be able to deal with our grief ourselves and, and with our friends and those connected to us. For, for many of us, we're gonna need to talk with someone intentionally about what we're feeling, maybe a, a Christian counselor or pastor. Maybe, that's, maybe that would be a, a helpful step for you to deal with the loss that you're facing today. How do you need to grieve? How do you need to grieve? You cannot, you cannot escape it. You cannot run from it. You cannot fight it. It's there. It's not going away unless you face it and deal with it. And if you don't own it, it's going to own you. So how do you need to grieve today? Second question, and I hope this keeps you awake at night because it's important. Do you have hope? Do you have hope? There is only one hope strong enough for life after death. And every one of us are going to die. Every one of us will spend eternity either enjoying the kindness of Jesus or suffering the wrath of Jesus. And you and I need a hope that's bigger than this life only. We need, we need hope in this life, but we need life hope beyond this life too. And the only hope that's big enough for life after this one is a hope in the one who faced death already and beat it. A hope that's big enough for, life, af for uh, life after this one is not your money, your legacy, your accomplishments, whatever. The only hope big enough is a hope in Jesus Christ who died 
rose again and will one day return. And if, if you do not have hope in Jesus today, you need to understand you are facing a Christless eternity, separated from the kindness of God, suffering the wrath of God forever. And Jesus came so that you would not have to do that. He came. He lived a perfect life. He died a death in our place for sin. He rose victorious over the grave so that all who hope in him, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've run, all who hope in him might have life eternal, enjoying the kindness of God forever. And so do you have hope? You need a hope in this life. You need a hope in that one. And the only one that's big enough is Jesus. And man, I pray, I pray that your hope is in him. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your kindness to us. Lord, I know there's so much hurt in this room, so many things that we have faced, are facing, so many things we've dealt with, so many, some things we haven't. We, we've pushed them aside, we've pushed them down, we've tried to just go on and deal. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to feel and face what we're dealing with. And then give us grace to run to you to find more grace. Lord, thank you. Thank you that your answer to our grief is not move on and deal with it. Thank you that your answer to our grief is not, it is what it is. Thank you, your answer to our grief is hope in Jesus. And Lord, I pray. I pray and ask that you would give us hope. Hope for for and in this life, hope for the next in Jesus Christ today. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.